everybody, it's the Mankind Podcast. Kind men, listen to this podcast. The revolution of masculinity with your host, Scoop Magruder. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Scoop. Thanks for tuning in. We got a lot of shit to shoot. Today's guest is a very dear friend. We're going to talk a little while to it through the lens of masculinity. What is that? Hey, I don't even know, but it's time for you and me to get real with it. Yeah, it's time for the show. Hey, folks, thanks so much for joining us. The Mankind Podcast. I'm your host, Scoot Magruder. With me, as always, is Mike. Mike 1 and Mike 2. Today's Mike 2, however, is on the phone with a wonderful person. His name is Brian Pataka. I want to let you know that there's a little bit of technical glitches with this particular recording. So do bear with us, but the conversation is a beautiful one. And I want to introduce you to this wonderful man who has had a huge impact in my life. He... um whether he's aware of it or not, brought my fiance and I together. And I'm just so grateful that I have been in his circumference for the past few years. Before I introduce Brian, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Spitz Mediterranean Street Food. They've got 10 locations in the States, four in LA, four in Utah, one in Minneapolis, one in Portland. It is a fantastic place to get a bite to eat at an affordable price. They got beer, they got wine. And right now, during the quarantine, uh, they have what's called the general store, where they also have supplies like uncooked pasta, toilet paper, uh, latex gloves, things of that nature that a person could really use. So do go check out Spitz Mediterranean Street Food. And now, Brian is a life, business, executive, and career coach with a background in marketing and training in the methodology of CTI's Coactive Coach Training Program and Marianne Williamson's Teaching the Teachers. He engages creative professionals seeking to ignite their businesses with fierce accountability, marketing innovation, and soul-satisfying success. After college at Northwestern, Brian worked in New York as an advertising executive promoting Broadway shows. During this time, his path of career coaching was revealed. He is the founder of a coaching organization and creative community with locations in New York, Los Angeles, and Atlanta. Now based in L.A., Brian coaches one-on-one and nationwide in several web-based group courses, including his new program, Agent Goals. You can visit him at www.brianpataka.com. Hello. Brian. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. How do we how do we do this? You have to do some kind of special packing things together or something? We're doing it. Um, uh, I have the right. Yeah. So, yay, this is happening. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, so, Brian, right. tell us, what are you reading these days? Um, so, I'm usually reading a couple books at the same time, but I've fallen into this uh, uh, series of books that I cannot get enough of. The first one is called Bangkok 8. Oh, it's by John Burnett. John Burnett, yeah. Do you know this book? I Yeah, it's oh my a, God. one of my favorites. Oh my God. So I, there's, did you know it's a series? Yeah. Because I cannot, oh my God, I'm on like book five, I think. Mm. And I, you know, fell in love with this main character who's this Buddhist policeman in Bangkok um, and very much a practicing Buddhist. And at the same time is, you know, working in a corrupt police uh, organization. And it's just so fabulously, um, it's story told in a fabulous way where, you know, it's always a detective story, but also the other part of it is you're learning so much about Buddhism and Thailand. And I just love being taken to another, another place when I'm reading. And I love a book that you can't set down, you know, I, that kind of really grabs me. And then 
so I'm, I'm, I'm like, and like, also he has a website and I'm like, I want to email him and tell him I want to be friends with him or something. Yeah. Um, and, uh, how did you get turned on to those uh, books? I mean, that's like not an easy find. Well, so it's weird because the book, it, you would think that more people would know about it because it was, you know, a New York Times bestseller and all this stuff, but it, it, I think it was a bestseller, but it was because I was planning a trip to Thailand mm. And I was, I, whenever I travel, whenever I plan a trip abroad, I always look at what are the books to read before you go there. And it was on more than one person's list. Okay. And I said, okay, great. So, yeah. uh, and so I read it and couldn't put it down. And that was the, that was, the, that was the story. That's so cool. You know, I lived yeah. in Thailand for two years and that was the first book I read that opened up the world for me. I love it. Really? Oh my God. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Cool. So cool. Are you reading other things as well? Um, so I'm almost. Always, so uh, two things. I'm also studying right now to be, I think you know this, in my second year of my non-denominational reverendship, which is based in A Course in Miracles. So I'm reading from A Course in Miracles every single day, which is more of a dense, you can't lay in your bed and read it because you'll fall asleep. But it is very mind-bending, uh, and I would say mind-correcting. So that is something that I'm reading uh, every day. And then I usually have some kind of... Um, uh, self-helpy kind of book that I'm reading at the same time. And the one that I'm reading right now, I'm never going to say this right. It's like the the Japanese art of unagi and magi. I don't remember even how to say this. It's on the front cover, so I never look at it. Happiness and how we have happiness in our lives. Um, I'll, I can find the name of the book and send you a photo of it or something. Okay. Yeah, because I like yeah. what you've done in the past. You take a picture of a book kind of in front of your smile and like, let the book do the talking yeah. for you. Are you still doing that? Uh, yeah. The, the thing is those photos were taken professionally. And so ever since then, I've been very hard to be able to do it on my own. And I'm like, I don't want to compare the old ones. So I probably should just say, fuck it and start posting them again. Yeah. Cause I've got plenty of books that I've read since then, that are on my list. Like this year has been, I would say this year has been one of my years of reading consistently books that I would easily recommend to anybody. And I don't have pictures of those yet up because I haven't taken the time to do it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I imagine that with, I mean, do, do you, are you experiencing the quarantine with added time or is it business as usual for you? Um, say the beginning of the question again, say it one more time. So the quarantine, I mean, this, this, you yeah. know, imposed lockdown that we have. I want to ask you what you're watching, what you're listening to, but I also want to get oh, to, sure. you know, your, I, I want to get to your viewpoint of masculinity and how it's informed, you know, your career growth, your personal growth, your emotional growth. Um, right. And so I wonder if this period of lockdown has given you more time to read, to watch, to listen, or is it business as usual for you? And even more so because of, you know, your, your career pursuits. Um, I would say it is it's kind of business as usual. Um, it hasn't necessarily given me more time. I'm in my house a hell a lot more. Uh, but uh, I would say that I spend a lot of time reading and writing for work. Okay. So my amount of wanting to read beyond that is limited. So oftentimes when it is time to unplug, which for me, I typically have long work days. It'll be like, okay, now I want my boyfriend wants to watch TV, and mm -hmm. so I want to do that with him because that's something we can do together. Yeah. That makes sense. And how is how is yeah. this moment in in the world impacting you? How are you are you are you, are you experiencing like a, a pivoting perspective, a mind shift? Um, you know, 
How has it impacted? You know, it's I was yeah. So I was talking about this the other day, and it's weird to be okay and worried about everyone else at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's both helpless. It can feel helpless. It can feel um, lonely. It can also feel strangely exhausting. I think um, to be holding the space for something that you kind of can't do anything about. Right. Um, and I find that to be, to me, the biggest impact is in like my mom is in Ohio and I'm here in Pasadena and I'm worried about her. And there's nothing I can do right. really. I mean, the other day I was able to help her get groceries and that was like, felt like it was a monumental degree of helping. Mm. Um, and then there's also this other part of me that is this uh, privileged part of me that hasn't been touched directly by loss yet, I would say, mm-hmm. from this from this virus, right? And so there's this part of me that is also so concerned for the people that already are and those are yet that are to be. Um, and it is, um, since we're, I don't know if this is a product of the moment or not, but we're, since we're all in our homes, it almost feels like even those losses or unwellnesses are kind of hidden in some way. I could imagine if I was seeing my friends, I'd be talking to them about it. And that may be even, uh, that that might be an assumption I'm making that isn't any more true than any other time, but it feels like it's a very, um, uh, a a quiet experience or something that that's for lack of a better word. Um, you're not, I'm not experiencing the dynamic conversations that I would have, you know, like, I, you know, going to meet you for dinner and then you tell me about someone. And then it's, it's it, many times I find that um, the conversations I'm having are the people that I'm close to and we're getting on the phone and we're talking about stuff, but um, none of us have been touched yet. Uh, knock on wood and, and thank God, but it, 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 it the, there's something I think that everyone has, or at least I think you're just part of the product of this virus is the interconnectedness that we all share. And it feels right now that that, that part of us, um, it's hard to express it is the best thing that I can It's hard to express your concern for others right now other than being a hero by staying home. Exactly. Right? Because there's, like, yeah. where would you go? You couldn't really go anywhere. Right. The uh, hospitals and staff have mm-hmm. asked us to stay home so that they can go to work. Um, right. Yeah. And the other thing is we have to be, I think it's also, I think we'll be, I'm a, there's something short-sighted about that at the same time because we all know that Sympathy isn't always expressed in person, neither is care, neither is concern. We express that in other times in our lives by sending things or sending a card or making a phone call, and we can do that in this time, but it doesn't, um, uh, you almost need a flag to be raised sometimes to say, hey, I'm one of the people who needs a call. So I know that my boyfriend and I have been trying to, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm not by myself alone in this time. So I've been trying, we've been trying really hard to make our dinner times be a time when we invite someone to like have dinner with us. Typically one of our single friends who we know is certainly alone. Right. right. And, um, and that's one way, you know, one tiny way of doing, being able to be there, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts about that. Yeah. Um, in terms of masculinity, I guess what comes to mind when you think of the word masculinity? Um, not to shift. It's never so. good at first. Sorry. Yeah, sure, sure. But when I first hear, I never. It's never a good feeling. It never. It never. It never sparks a good feeling inside of me, because it feels like. Um, and I'm sure that's learned, right? But that is the. It, it, it reminds me of like. 
seventh grade or sixth grade being made fun of for being gay, even though I didn't know I was gay, but not acting what other people thought of was, was masculine when I was that age. Um, it brings up, um, it brings up, and I mean, I've, the, the times that I hear the word masculinity most often right now are connected to a hyphen, which is toxic masculinity. Mm, right. Um, and so, right. And so I don't hear it as often as a, a positive thing. And so it, the first reaction I had, like, if this is a Rorschach test of what do you think of when you see this word, it mm. would be like Ugh, an, an icky feeling. Right. Yeah. And then a moment later, I'm followed by like the caboose to that train is something that makes me think about how just like masculine and feminine energy. And to me, that's not male or female that is, or gender, that's not gender specific. To me, that is um, more of a, of a way to describe energy. You could call it red, blue energy. You could call it whatever, but just another way to describe a kind of energy, if that makes sense. Yeah. And do you, I guess, so as a, as a young man, was there somebody that exemplified either for better or worse this idea of masculinity? Did you have good role models that helped you grow into your sense of who you are now uh, and people also who, um, you know, gave you a bad taste in your mouth, this ech feeling that you have? Well, if I'm seeing it through a lens of masculinity, just through the lens of masculinity, right? I would say, you know, I was a child. And so my definition of masculinity were the guys on the football team mm. because that's what I understood that I was different from. Um, and so they were masculine and I was not, which is why I was made fun of. And so unless I played sports and was good at it, even didn't have to be good at it, actually, it almost felt like sports was the answer to proving that you were masculine when I was that age, um, which I didn't play sports. I wasn't not athletic, but I didn't play like on the varsity team or whatever. Right. right. So it uh, so for me, I, I don't know if there was a good or bad to it. It was just a. a almost a subversive. Uh, de a definition made by my own, you know, an assumption that I made, you know, as a child that this is what masculine looked like. And my parents were divorced. And so the idea of mm, the connection to masculinity in like my father, um, who was a very masculine guy, I guess, if we're going to use the traditional use of the word, like it didn't, that wasn't how I would have seen him through the lens of my lens was taught to me by I was not masculine. So I would speak. So in my mind, I would see, I would find what was, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, you would find what was um, to help you, or you would find what was as a further reinforcement of that you weren't masculine. Um, I didn't need help, so I don't want to victimize myself. But I would see it as I would see. I just knew that I acted like a, I acted like a girl, and the people who told me I was acting like a girl weren't obviously weren't because they knew what acting like a girl looked like. So yeah. they were masculine. And so, so yeah. those boys are masculine. Yeah. Yeah. And so at, at what point uh, did you feel most comfortable to, to be, you know, who you were without having to worry about pleasing other people and their stereotypes of masculinity? Mm, I mean, is anyone comfortable with who they are? I think I'm still on a journey for that. I will say that I feel very much like I'm in my own skin as a 44-year-old man at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that, yeah, I, I think, you know, I had internal homophobia or not homophobia, maybe internal like um, uh, 
when I was out and gay, mm-hmm. other out and gay men, and probably including myself, would be turned off by gay acting mm. men yeah. or feminine acting men, right? And it was, I think that was learned. Like, that's not cool. You see, if the, even though you're gay, you need to pass for masculine. You need to pass for straight. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and so there was sure. some kind of, yeah, so that became like a not good way to be. And that was certainly taught to me from, from being, being young. And so I think that when I was young and, uh, and so that took a while, I think, to really shake that off. And I think part of that has to do with just growing up and becoming who you are. Right. And I think another part of it has to do with on like letting go of that idea, I guess. I don't know if that answers your question. Absolutely. It's yeah. I, it's like, if we, if I say the word elephant, you think of elephant, but if I don't, you know, right. it, it, it's, it's almost like just be rather than scrutinize it while you're being. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I, I'm curious about this course of miracles and, and you're studying to become uh, a non-denominational reverend. Is that the right? Right. Yeah. I mean, in the state of California, it's very hard to talk about actually, because I always feel like I want people to know that if they don't believe in God or Jesus, that I can still talk to them as a spiritual practitioner, mm-hmm. but it's actually kind of difficult to describe. So A Course in Miracles is a book that is, uh, uses uh, Christian mythology, or if you, if you think Christianity is a myth, but it uses Christian themes and parables and allegories and talks about Christ and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and all those words to teach what are uh, fundamental spiritual truths that are true in all the great religions of the world. So the Course is taught with age or what they would say, like a Mary Williamson would say, I think the Course actually says this, is there are many doorways, the Course of Miracles is one of the doorways. So the same thing I'm teaching, the same thing I'm learning is the same thing that's taught in Buddhism. It's the same thing that's taught in uh, Islam. It's so in the same thing that's taught in Catholicism, Judaism. So it kind of it, it, it it's the it's the basic principle, spiritual principle, truths of all of them. So when I say non-denominational reverend, my studies will be in a course in miracles, but my reverendship is it's recognized by the state of California. Is you know I could start a church if I wanted to, and part of the reason that I'm just uh, yeah, the part of the reason that I'm going for it all the way to reverendship is I know that part of me is, I don't know if it's ego based or not, but I do want, I think that if you're placing your, what I think is one of our great gifts as a human being is our spirituality in someone else's hands. You want to know that you're talking to someone who's not on their first go round at doing this, you know, someone who knows how to have the conversations. And so to me, that was part of why I'm actually going deeper into that. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, um, it's almost like, you're an emissary for universe in a way to kind of like a conduit um, for that very specific moment of reunion. Um, Yeah. I I, appreciate you saying that. And for me, yeah. And for me also like we all are right. Sure. We all are emissaries of the universe. And so to, and to have someone who, you know, like this is going to be a bizarre analogy perhaps, but for some it may appeal is, you know, a tarot card reader or a preacher or a, um, sometimes your yoga teacher or an astrologist helps you interpret the signs you're getting from the universe to help you make decisions and to be safe within yourself. And I think that, and to also really recall your own interconnectedness to the rest of the human beings on the planet. And that to me is the definition of spirituality. So that's, and for me, it is, for me, spirituality has been the, um, 
the the guiding force in moments of lowness, the low moments in my life, uh, and also the biggest decisions I've made. And so my my own personal quest is to get closer and closer and closer to that voice in any moment. Wow. Yeah, because I'm so curious. Like that must have been a decision somewhere in the past where maybe you saw somebody who was, um, you know, acting as a reverend and marrying two people. I'm, I'm curious to know about that decision because now you're living in it. You're moving towards the reality of that. When was that decision made and kind of what was going on in your life that helped you say, huh, I want to do that? Yeah, so I want to really broaden the idea of what, when you're saying reverend, like the marrying part, I know I'm marrying you later in the year, but I have to tell you, it's like tiddly tiddlywinks compared to the bigger process for me. Okay. So I don't want to be some. I don't want to be someone who marries people. So Skyler and everybody listening right now, don't hit me up to marry you. Okay. Like I'm glad that I'm doing it for. I'm glad that I'm doing it for you guys, but that's not why I'm a reverend. I'm a reverend to stand at a pulpit, whether my pulpit is Facebook or Instagram or oh. inside of my courses that I create. Right. I so. Um, yeah, so my model for this was seeing Marianne Williamson speak about the, A Course in Miracles, and she gives lectures. She would call them lectures. She would not call them a sermon um, and because it is talking about the whole wide world. It's not just talking about a, a, a religion. So that's, I think, the big difference, which is why I say non-dominational. There's no religion. There's no doctrine. There's no dogma. There's no right way to do things, right? Mm-hmm. It is bigger than that understanding, right? So to me, the reason that it was speaking to me so much, I think, is I, my life had become, I wasn't like it, I would say like rock bottom or something, but I would say that my life, I was in a, I was having a hard time in my life. Uh, I'd suffered a really um, sad, not bad, but sad breakup. And I felt very untethered and I'd keep, I'd kept dancing with spirituality as a way to help myself. And then as I continued to go and continue to help myself make decisions, it was what pulled me out of that. And then as I was teaching from that point of view, it was, um, attracting a certain kind of creative to me. And mm-hmm. it was, I was speaking their language in a way that helps them. And so I felt tremendously of service. And so that's why I think it kind of pulled me to it. So yeah, the, my mentor was, I would say it was like Marion Williamson in some way, um, even though like, I'm not necessarily trying to follow her same path, but it was maybe a, um, a mentor implies like this, she talked to me. She didn't talk to me, but she may have been like a model for me, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what I was, what I want to achieve. Yeah. Marianne Williamson. Yeah. Is that the name? Okay. Um, that's, that's so, that's fantastic. I, I didn't realize that that, um, so behind every creative pursuit, it sounds like that you're doing, that that's the core of where you are ultimately operating from. Yeah, for sure. And what's so crazy is, you know, people, don't necessarily, you know, want to sign up for a class because you're going to feel good on a spiritual level. But what happens is people will undoubtedly um, get that benefit from the class regardless. So they've signed up for a class and they are enjoying it and moving in agreement with it because that is to me the, the biggest benefit. So I'm delivering it in that point of view. And I think that's also what attracts people to work with me is that I am um, like the people who know that they want to work with me, know that they want to work with me because they can feel it, right? They can feel something. I think that's what's important is as a, as an entrepreneur, I think it's your job to help someone know if you're right for them or if they should work with you by 
being so much yourself and really putting it out there. And so by really putting it out there, it lets people, yeah, then they know they shouldn't be with you, right? So if someone came to one of my free classes or came to, you know, we got on a sample call or we started talking and they were, and they was like, oh, there was too much like spiritual talk or whatever. Like they would know I'm not their guy, right? Um, or, or, and so to me, I have to speak from that point of view so that when I'm teaching you the nitty gritty of, whatever the program, if it's like, you know, starting your business kind of program that, you know, that it's coming from that place, because then we're going to be, uh, we're going to be talking the same language. Cause you and I both know that like starting your own thing or starting your own business, like it is a vulnerable position to be in. And you, not only do you need to know how you want to have somebody who's there, I think to hold the space for it, to, to, to hold the space for your creativity. And that's where I think that this, this part of my, my training or my desire of who I want to be helps with the people I work with. That's, that's fantastic. Um, I want to switch gears just a little bit and kind of return to yeah. the, the idea of masculinity when not, not that, you know, what we just talked about has nothing to do with it. I think one of the great things about hopefully this podcast is that it's all intertwined and anything and everything is kind of a reflection of our identity. And you can sort of take it from there as far as how it, uh, infuses with your sense of masculinity, but I'm curious to know when you, when do you feel most in your masculine self, and what does that look like? What does that mean? It's curious. So, so, so it's like what you said before. Like, uh, you don't say elephant. You don't think of elephant. Like, it's like the word masculine doesn't. So since the question is posed, I have an answer. It's not an answer I would have described as my own, right? I wouldn't say in my life before having this conversation with you, I feel masculine when, but when faced with the question, I can look into myself and find it. Hmm. So, which is um, when I am, and to me, it actually is interesting because it is also perhaps the time that I feel most feminine. Which is, so to me, it is when I'm most integrated, I guess, is when I'm most aware of it. And that is when I am um, leading a class uh, in person or online where I am, where I, where I am being my most attuned to uh, listening, to be the mouthpiece for what the universe needs me to say. And I mean, one of the, I, I learned this from Brené Brown, but it stays with me. And it's this prayer that she says before she's about to do a, a talk or a lecture. She says, um, I'm going to, I'm going to botch this, but I'm going to try as best I can. But it's like, uh, dear God, uh, I am, uh, please give me the, um, uh, allow me to teach and entertain in your will and in your way. Uh, so that these people can be uplifted or da, 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 da. And so for me, oftentimes before I teach in a big group, I'll say some kind of prayer or some kind of mantra or just meditate on the thought of how can I be open to being the most there for them I can possibly be. And I will say in those experiences is when I feel my most masculine, when I then go in to teach that, where I'm not responsible just for teaching, right? And here's the steps you're going to take and da, da, da. I'm also responsible for like, pay attention shut the door, like the room, like creating the space of the room to me feels something that feels like a, a, a partially a masculine energy and then a feminine energy filling it, if that makes sense. Like the, the masculine energy almost creating the walls and the feminine energy creating the ceiling in the room, if that makes sense. Oh, I love, yeah, that's, that, that's a fascinating image where the walls serve as kind of the masculine quality and the energy of the room itself is feminine. Is that kind of? Yeah. 
that that's interesting i'm also i'm i'm so curious to to um kind of return to the way that you phrased that or that you phrased your answer i can't quite remember what you had said but that if i hadn't asked that question you wouldn't have had a response but because the question was broached you had a response can can i dig yeah. a little bit further into that yeah yeah for sure i don't i don't really know what my question is um but uh can you shed a little bit of light onto onto how you chose to phrase that? Yeah, yeah. So I did not create a podcast called Mankind, right? Right. I'm not a person who thinks of the word masculine very much in his life. Right. It is not an inquiry for me. Right. It is not the thing that's been assigned to me by God or the universe. So it's not an energy that I um, describe, right? If you said we want to have the creativity podcast, I would like. Have a thousand thoughts that I've had before about creativity. So when it comes to masculine, it's not a question that hangs in the balance for me anymore. Um, and I think it comes from what you said earlier, which was how you know how you feel in your own skin, or like I, I'm not going to get your question right, but it was about like how are you with it now or something. And so what 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 occurs to me here is you know when I'm thinking about masculine and feminine energy, I'm often thinking about. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Pat Allen. Pat Allen is a wonderful, wonderful lecturer on masculine and feminine energy. And she has a book, which I think is misleading. The title is a bit misleading. It's a bestseller, but it's called um, Getting to I Do. Um, and it's, it's written primarily, I would say, for women to navigate the messiness of dating. Um, and this woman is a woman who's been sober for decades, and she's a PhD. And, she got, and what she talks about in terms of masculine and feminine energy is, the idea that masculine being the doer kind of energy, which doesn't mean men. I want to be very clear. It's just like this is a way of describing, which is why I said you could call it red or blue earlier, just like the masculine energy being the doer, the doer kind of facts and figures, numbers, you know, action taking kind of energy, and the feminine energy being the being kind of energy, the the, the feeling energy. Mm. And one of the things that she says that I think is so, I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to do my best, is she says something about how if you ask a man, how did your day go? He wants to be cherished for his actions and his accomplishments. Mm. And he will feel, and he will feel cherished by you acknowledging those things and his thoughts. And if you say, how did your day go to a woman or, or, or feminine energy, would be careful. I'm using man, woman, but actually could be man or feminine energy. It can a a woman or the person in the feminine energy wants to be cherished for their feelings. So wants to be validated. So like if you think of even like Oprah saying people just want to be heard, right? So uh, 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 the feminine energy or the woman, which again, I'm using that word very loosely here because it doesn't necessarily mean the woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is, is if you are validating her feelings or, you know, the, the feminine feelings, um, not that they're feminine feelings, but you get what I mean. Uh, if you're validating her feelings or the, seeing the feelings that it will feel cherishing. And to a man, if you're saying, I, you know, wow, it looks like that was hard or you got that done or da da da. It would feel cherishing to him. That's um, and I want to be very, I just want to be very clear here when I'm saying that's in the feminine and him and her, that these can be very interchangeable Absolutely. and it, it, this is a versus masculine and feminine. So it's just kind of the, to have a conversation more easily. I'm using those words. We don't have enough in between words yet, I guess. No, it's, it, I appreciate you saying that because it, it is interchangeable. Masculine isn't just for men. Feminine isn't just for women. Um, right. Right. It, yeah, and it's funny that you say that about how men kind of find their accomplishments and their tasks. Like if that's acknowledged, then they feel 
you know, validated. I had a conversation with my dad last night and because of the whole quarantine, I'm like, okay, do I get another job and how do I navigate this? And I, I started rattling off all the ways in which I was productive today, just so he would know. And, um, and, and, and it's, it's something that he and I share whether inherently unspoken or something like that. But like, I feel like a need to let him know how I was productive. Yeah, um, very much. And would, you, yeah. would you find yourself doing the same? The question would be to ask yourself, this is your podcast, not mine, so I'm not going to ask you. Mm-hmm. But do you find yourself doing the same thing with your mom, right? That would be the question. Oh, right. To be curious about, right? To be curious about. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it doesn't have to fall down gender lines, but I think that's interesting. But wait, I want to go back because you said, mm-hmm. you know, the question is like, how did I, how do I, the question wouldn't have occurred to me. Right. And about, you know, the, you know, the asking in, in, you know, I don't know if I am privileged to be of the third sex, I think is what Native Americans call homosexual people, um, is to not, so I don't have to confront the phrase toxic masculinity, I don't have to confront the phrase toxic masculinity in order to feel um, like I'm being a conscious, responsible man right now in the world. Right. Now, that could be wrong. There are certainly tox- toxically masculine homosexuals. I want to be very clear that that's not, I'm not saying like, hey, I, I could never be toxically masculine because I'm gay. That's not how it works. But what I mean is I am not a, um, uh, I'm not an easy shot at someone thinking that I could be. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. yeah. I say that. Yeah. Like for a conscious individual like yourself, like it's something you definitely would want to think about so that you're not like offending people so you're not like putting people off so that you're able to be all of yourself without having to write part of yourself off i think Mm -hmm. is also important right and so i think that you know there's a little bit of privilege that i'm experiencing in the conversation because there's a general assumption that if you're gay you are probably not going to come from that pov sure okay that's fascinating does that make sense it does yeah yeah, and you know, I think that this podcast definitely did arise from the recent, you know, decades long, um, which recently culminated with the Me Too movement and Time's Up. And I felt like I wanted to do what I could to look at that stone and turn it over of, of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And so, so this is kind of an outgrowth. And and my, I'm I'm envisioning the young man who is coming of age trying to you know find himself and i wonder if there's a bit of advice that you might give to this person who might be listening um i I guess the question is how do i embrace my masculinity how can i be healthy a healthy masculine person or what is healthy masculinity yeah it's interesting so for me it's I'm going to dissect your question a little bit, Okay. but my first response is what I think all religion and no religion and all spirituality point to, which is two words, which is be kind. Hmm. And that's, that's the, the bottom line I at the end that. of uh, be kind to all religions can be responsive into those two words. And I forget who said that. I'm, I'm not the person who said that first. <laughs> um, uh, and so you know, inside your question is an inherent desire yeah. to express masculinity. Mm. And it's so, it's so foreign to me to, uh, 
to think of it in that way, right? Like I might, when I think of myself and I, and I, and I want to really try to connect this for your listeners too, is like, like I will think of in myself, I want to express my leadership. I want to express my compassion. I want to express my maybe confidence, or I want to express my expertise. Right. And it rarely comes as the form of masculinity. It's form of like, I want to express my masculinity. Right. Yeah. I mean, unless I was dressed up in a Halloween costume or something. So there's part of me that thinks like, if, if, if you are your best, version of yourself your 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 masculinity without that having a, a firm definition to it is expressed right um it's a natural... because i do think like this yes yeah it's a natural expression right like a natural it's your pheromone coming off of you when you're when you're being your most self but the thing that's curious here right and because you know scooter we're talking about run the mankind podcast talk about masculinity there's a difference between masculine and feminine right and in in you know in 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 my body, my I can give you a definition of it, and it's such a dorky one, and it's inside my business. All right, I'm going to talk about something that's super dorky. So, in my business, um, there will be times when I have to do refunds or cancellations. Right, someone will want a refund, or they'll be like, "I suddenly can't pay for this anymore," or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, I am very bl- I'm very black and white on what those rules are, and those black and white rules inside of like having a very clear refund policy, a very clear cancellation policy. To me, that having those clear rules is part of kind of like my a masculine energy mm. but the but the fun part about this and you might say how are cancellations and refunds fun the fun part about this to me is i create those black and white rules so that i can choose how i want to feel about it when they show up so what does that mean so when someone said to me during covid19 brian i can't do this anymore i backed out on my i i i've lost my job there's no way i can afford this can I please get out of this? Right. First I had a first, first I had like a middle ground, which was a COVID relief fund. So that people didn't have to drop out. So there was that, but the the bigger one I want to point to is it was so easy for me to say, of course I can let you out of this. I want you to be well and take good care of yourself. Or you could do the COVID relief fund if you want to do that. Right. And to me, when coming back to them and saying, of course I can let you out of this contract was to me, some kind of like the feminine caretaking, mothering energy, it, it gave me an, an opportunity to express compassion mm. around a black and white masculine type of rule. And so it danced back and forth for me. So I guess, so I guess for me, masculinity still comes down to almost the, the, the Pat Allen definition, which I said earlier, which is the action versus being. Right. Yeah. And I think part of why and part of why I think even right now, if I'm going to talk about this moment of COVID-19 is a lot of us are cut off at the legs. We huh. can't be out in the world doing right. We can't be out in the world doing right. And so that affects both women and men dance with their masculine and feminine energies all day long. And so suddenly, you know, we're not able to go out and do those things. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be it's going to be a strain on our system because we're not used to it. We're used to, we're used to being able to express that mask and energy it reminds me of like you know how a dog will suddenly start running around the house really fast to get all that energy out or whatever yeah like we don't have necessary we don't necessarily have that place to get to get that energy out in some ways and then yeah yeah that's, that's i hope that answered something in there absolutely no i mean it, it i think it touches on a lot um it just that that last comment makes me feel like this uh, compassion that everyone is in this situation is uh so necessary um, 
Mm. Brian, I want to, we're going to wrap up. We're going to do a little rapid fire here. Um, Uh Okay. I'd like you to say the first word that comes to mind uh, for these following words. Okay. Okay, here we go. Man. Okay. Uh, Beard. Woman. Um, Dress. (laughs) (laughs) Masculine. Uh, Fire. Feminine. Um, Earth. Strength. Um, Muscles. Weakness. Um, uh, 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 cozy. Leader. Vision. Success. Um, smile. Health. Uh, uh, flexibility. Sex. You say sex? Yeah, S-E-X. What did you say? Okay, I can hear what you said. Um, effect, uh, like sweaty. What? Sweating. Wedding. Wedding? Sweating. Sweaty. S-E-W-E-A-T-Y. Yes. Sweating. S-E-W-E-A-T-Y. Ooh, sweating. Sweating. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yes. And lastly, you. Trying. Cool. Trying, trying. Oh, I, I think... <laughs> I think you're writing the. I think you're writing the book on doing. Of course, you know what is thank that? You. Yeah, no, you're you're doing just great. Um, thank, thank you. Yeah, Brian, thank you so much uh, for your time and insight. Absolutely, it's, it's, it was such a great conversation. Thank you. I didn't know where I was going to go and all this, so I really appreciate you like uh, having having a space for us to have these conversations. I think it's important. I think it's really important. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I appreciate you giving me a space to do it with you. You bet, you bet, and I will I all right. see you when this all blows over. Can't wait. I'll okay. talk to you soon. Thank you, Brian. Okay, see you guys later. Okay, bye-bye. I, Brian just threw a whole slew of wisdom at you, and I hope it served and helped to give you a space where you could reflect on masculinity, on femininity, on identity. And I love that he said the two words of, that are of utmost importance be kind. At the end of the day, be kind. And that's our mission here at the Mankind Podcast. We want to create kind men. And kind men listen to the Mankind Podcast. Folks, thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Mankind Podcast. Me, your host, Scoot Magruder. Don't forget to check out Spitz Mediterranean Street Food. Don't forget also, be a kind man. Please bring the ladder. Please bring the ladder. Please bring.